Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, we finally had a James Harden <laughs> trade. <laughs> about time. Uh, been waiting for this for months here. And we had a sneaky third team come into this to help make things work out. Um, Philadelphia, the Clippers, and then Oklahoma City comes in with helping with some picks um, you know, with some protections changed. What does Philadelphia receive in this after having sent James Harden to the Clippers? A whole lot of draft compensation and maintaining their salary cap flexibility moving forward. That seemed to be uh, Daryl Morey's primary goal was I need to retain the cap flexibility. And if I am not getting a superstar level player back, which he clearly still valued James Harden at, I need draft compensation so that I can go get uh, that superstar player uh, in the um, in a subsequent move down the line. And mission accomplished for, for Daryl Morey uh, in this uh, trade. You know, they got all those guys coming back, four players, which is kind of hard to do, all on expiring contracts uh, for Philadelphia. They also, in this trade, something that I don't know in all the versions that were bandied about that we were really uh, banking on, he was able to to get rid of P.J. Tucker's uh, deal, which is, it's $11 million for this year, but the big one was an $11.5 million player option for 24-25. And that, that's, that's big because what that does is that uh, clears that off the books because – not being rude or anything, but PJ Tucker's picking up that player option. Like we, we think we all know that at this point, just where he's at in his career. So that would have been money that Philadelphia would have had to work around. So mission accomplished you, you know, plus I guess, cause you got everything you said you needed back in a version of a hardened trade. And uh, you, you also got rid of PJ Tucker as well. And um, on top of that, You'll probably notice I haven't really mentioned any of the players yet <laughs> because not sure how much any of them are really going to matter long term uh, for Philadelphia. The, the the guy I like most of the group of four that they got is KJ Martin, Nick Batum, Robert Covington, Marcus Moore Sr. They may have moments this year. I think it's more likely if Philly goes one of the routes they could uh, now moving forward that those guys become uh trade assets again in 60 days when they can be re-aggregated in another trade but you know for just player value there's not a whole lot there for philly their, their their real value to the sixers was that all four of those guys are on expiring contracts yeah i'm looking at the multi-year for the 76ers i mean they have joel Embiid locked in at 51 they have paul reed on a non-guaranteed 7-7 and a club option for uh, Jared Springer, uh, Jaden Springer, who which was yeah, picked, up, picked up last uh, night. yesterday. Yep. So th- there's three players actually physically under contract for the 24-25 season. So you're right, there are you know uh, a lot of avenues that the 76ers could go after this season is completed. Yeah, and so if we talk about some of those in 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 brief here, and if you want to read more detail, I wrote about this on the site, of course, in one of my uh, probably overly long trade break breakdowns. Um, but I get excited, and then I get into it. And this one was really cool because it had both on court stuff and it had a lot of financial uh, stuff, which is obviously more of our focus here. 
But if we get into the, the, the paths forward from Philly, Philly has been very clear. They have every intention of re-signing Tyrese Maxey, likely to a max contract. Um, but what they want to do is that max contract for him projects right now to be $35.5 million. His cap hold um, is only 13, just over $13 million. So that's $22.5 million of space gained, if you will, by delaying signing him. Because if you had already signed him to the extension on July 1 of next year, uh, that extension would kick in. So like we saw with guys like Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, Desmond Bain, because I'm going to keep calling Desmond Bain a max guy because he's so close. Those guys on July 1, their new number kicks in as their number uh, for, for next season. So now what happens on July 1, Tyrese Maxey's number is $13 million, And even if they sign him all the way to that max of $35.5 million, what will happen is they'll be able to use that $22.5 million in cap space and then re-sign Maxey later. Uh, so that that's really, really important, the, the way they structured this. So if we know that, now their paths forward are going to be cap space related. I'm a little surprised they picked up Jaden Springer's $4 million player option just because he, he really hasn't shown anything in his first couple of years. Nick Nurse seems to like him. He's playing a little bit more this year. He may play even more now with Harden you know, fully out of the mix. Uh, there could be more minutes for him. Maybe Tobias Harris plays more at the four. They need to get another kind of wing with at least a little bit of size, which Springer has in the lineup more often. So my guess is you're going to see him play, and they're probably thinking of it as hey, it's $4 million. That's not going to, that's not enough to mess us up from anything we need to do. If it really is, we'll be able to dump that 4 million onto somebody uh, next year. Paul Reed, we'll see what happens with his contract. I, I thought Danny Ainge threw a kind of humorous thing in there because if we remember, it was an offer sheet that they matched uh, from Utah that it becomes fully guaranteed if the team makes the second round of the playoffs, which is, I think Ainge maybe taking a little bit of a shot at his former protege Maury and the Sixers uh, lack of ability to advance in the playoffs. Uh, so that's kind of funny. And then Embiid obviously at 51.4 million. So if they wipe the decks clear of everything else, you're talking somewhere in the range of 60 ish million in cap space. Uh, that's enough to go get a max guy, have some left over to get somebody else. And you would have the room exception and still be able to resign maxi. If you keep, uh, Paul Reed on the books, and then I think there's a chance a guy like D'Anthony Melton, who's become an important player, you keep those two guys on the books, you're talking in the range of 40-ish million. That probably takes you out of the max player range, unless it's someone coming off a rookie-scale contract. But you still have plenty of room to do all sorts of stuff, trade-wise and, and all kinds of things that you want to do to build out your roster. The last option I'll throw out there is you do some pre-agency. And you look around and say, hey, we have a whole bunch of uh, money and expiring contracts now, whether that be the guys they just acquired, like Batum and Covington and Morris, those guys uh, collectively, that's like $40 million, uh, plus in, in expiring salary. And then you've got a couple other guys you know, on the roster, like Daniel House and Furkan Korkmaz that you could plus up. They've got the ability, if they wanted to get in on 
I don't know, the, the names I keep getting mentioned are guys like Zach Levine and Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. Well, the first step to be able to get any of those guys is can you match salary in a trade? And Philly can match salary with ease on any one of those guys. And now they have the draft assets to get in the conversation as well that they didn't have previously. So so now you're talking, All right, hey, if you want to reset around some draft picks and clear your books, that's a way they could get in on what I like to call pre-agency, where you get in on a couple of these guys early and then you get the added benefit of, well, you know what, we have them now for the rest of this season and uh, we'll have them going into next year if they want to uh, you know, punt on a little bit of that cap space by doing their work early. So there's all kinds of options for Philadelphia here. Yeah, in looking at the matching salaries, it's similar to what Phoenix just did with Aiton, where they sent Aiton out and brought on, you know, three players of decent sized salaries that could be together. You know, Philadelphia did that where you send Harden and Tucker out, but you brought in three at 11, 7, 11, 7, and 17, 1 that could be, you know, used to flip again. You don't necessarily aren't getting just one player back for Harden where you're stuck with the one player that may not want to go to, you know, other teams. So, uh, kudos for the front office uh, for being able to split Harden's salary with Tucker into some manageable salaries that could be flipped at the trade deadline, like you said, getting into pre-agency, which we saw with the Lakers last year. They made moves getting into the trade deadline that allowed them to you know, flush out the roster going into this offseason. So, uh, again, kudos to that front office. If we flip to the, the the Clippers, how how does the James Harden? You already went through you know PJ Tucker with where he is in his career, but James Harden on this uh, Lakers roster that has Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Norman Powell. Uh, so how does this fit from a uh, X's and O's standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint? Yeah, it's um, you know if we talk briefly X's and O's. Um... Yeah, and that's not a lot of what we do on our show here. And if right. people really want a deeper dive on that, go check out front office show. Trevor Lane and I spend a lot of time on that. But it's going to be interesting. You know, I think they're a better team today, but there are definitely worries. You know, what happens with Russell Westbrook now? Because you have another on-ball guy. We've seen what happens when Westbrook gets shunted into one of those off-ball uh, type of roles that that gets, you know, a little messy potentially. But I think one of the big parts that that is uh, uh, not being considered enough here is they now have coverage if if or maybe more aptly when uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard miss time. James Harden is a guy who's perfectly capable of taking the ball and running the show and kind of being being the guy who you know can, can do stuff offensively. So uh, so there's that long term salary wise, the Clippers are in such a fascinating spot. Because they could they could continue to be one of the most expensive teams in the league. And I think that's the most likely path forward. But there's a path where let's say this all goes horribly wrong. And everybody just kind of throws their hands up and is like, we're done. And guys start leaving. Well, that could happen too. And then all of a sudden they're sitting on like nothing committed uh, long term uh, beyond Norman Powell and a rookie deal. Uh, they, they, all their deals run out uh, within the next, uh, you know, two cycles. So after this year or the year after. So what they're facing right now, James Harden comes in. He is a, he is on an expiring contract. He will 100% be an unrestricted free agent uh, this summer. The, the Clippers will have full bird rights on him. 
they cannot extend him because he signed a uh, a two year contract with Philadelphia, and it was a new two year contract. That's not extendable. You can't extend a two year deal. So that's why he's not extendable. So he'll come in and play out the year. Both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have matching $48.8 million uh, player options for next year. If we remember, they aligned everything contractually with each other uh, when they they got to L.A. as best they could through extensions and whatnot. So now what we're looking at with those two guys is they're they're very likely going to opt out. That doesn't mean they're going to opt out and leave, but they're probably going to opt out to then re-sign, whether that be four or five-year deals. Um, they're very likely to do that moving forward. So you have three guys in Paul George, James Harden, and Kawhi Leonard, who are, I don't know that Harden gets a max again. Uh, for reference, the max projects to be $49.7 million uh, next season. But I think there's a chance we see James Harden still get 35 to $40 million and just below uh, that max line. And if that happens, you're talking about three guys who are going to re-sign that make you know, well over $100 million between the three of them, which is going to be you know kind of crazy because then that's when all of a sudden Terrence Mann at $11 million, Norman Powell at $19 million, P.J. Tucker at $11.5, Evita Zubac at $11.7. Those add up majorly on top of three guys making over $100 million combined. So interesting spot for the Clippers to, to, to be in where there is – I'm going to say there's flexibility and I'm very much putting flexibility in quotations because I don't know that it exists like the way it does where we just talked about with Philadelphia, but in theory, yeah, it's kind of there because there is some stuff they can do for sure. Yeah. I ran the numbers yesterday from the financial standpoint of pre-trade and Mm post-trade. The Clippers went from $99.27 million for a luxury tax bill up to $128.39 million. And Philadelphia went from $19.82 million down to $6.3 million in tax. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because last episode we talked about tax projections. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the Clippers are extremely expensive. The second expensive <laughs> yeah. right now behind Golden State um, by, by quite a bit. So... It's an expensive team for one year. Obviously, that's a fluid situation, trade deadline that that could shift. But as of right now, that's where the Clippers stand. And that's a great point that you made with Philadelphia, because when you get down into the range of seven million or less, you're pretty much one trade away from getting out of the tax entirely. And unless they do a move that is designed really on, hey, we're taking on this guy who's making major money and we're going to keep him long-term. I would expect to see Philadelphia get out of that uh, tax range. You're you're really what you're talking about there is that's a, Hey, who wants Furkan Korkmaz at the trade deadline, right? Like that's the kind of thing you're talking about uh, there. And guess what? We have now a couple extra second rounders because they got a couple seconds in this trade too. So we can uh, send you those for you to take on his contract and off we go. And then, then they'll, pretty much dodge the tax so i would expect philadelphia to get out of the tax if for no other reason that kind of resets everything as far as repeater clock goes because i know we were talking about the clippers but i thought about it when you started talking about the tax with philly it is what's going to happen with them i think is even though it's extremely rare that this happens that they're very likely to use cap space whether they use it a little earlier they use it right now 
once they do that and re-sign Tyrese Maxey to what will likely be a max contract, they're going to be pushing and then fill out the roster. Obviously they're going to be pushing right up to over the, the luxury tax again, rare that a team can do that, go from being a cap space team to a tax team all in one summer. Um, because it is, you know, it's really hard and you have to have special circumstances, but that can happen when you have a guy uh, like Maxi, who's going to see such a major jump in salary next season that does put you kind of in that position. So, so that's going to be interesting to watch uh, with Philadelphia as well. But yeah, going back to the Clippers, wildly expensive. I expect they will remain wildly expensive as everything moves forward with, with their team and, and whatnot, because it just, they, that that's what they're in for, right? It's, you know, I keep one of my favorite phrases uh, with these teams are, Hey, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound and they they're in for a whole lot of pounds. All right. To put a bow on this trade, there was a third team that snuck <laughs> of in course here to help was. make things work out. And then of course <laughs> it ended up being the Oklahoma city thunder. Why not to add them to, with draft compensation? Um, why, why did Oklahoma city have to be, thrown into this uh to make it all work yeah so it sounds like what happened was where the sticking point in the clippers sixers negotiations were we needed a second first round pick uh from the philadelphia side or we wanted terrence Mann, and it seemed like the clippers were like we we, we're not sending you terrence Mann. he's too important to us we want him here he's you know he he is their depth guy behind george and leonard because he plays functionally the same positions they do so I think what happened was when it got down to it, it was let's see if we can go find another first rounder somewhere. And what they actually did was they went back to it to the the Thunder, who in 2026 owned the Clippers uh first rounder. So what they're doing, what they did was they essentially told the Thunder, hey, we're gonna give you pick swap rights in 2027, which is important to remember. That is several years from now. That is, um, you know, that's four drafts away. So that that is, you know, a long time out. So what they're going to do is they're going to say, hey, you can swap with us. But that pick that you had um, direct from us, you need to convey that to Philadelphia. Now, Oklahoma City's in this weird spot in 2026. They own potentially as many as one, two, three, four, five, six first rounders. Uh, in that draft. So what they're going to do is they're going to tie the Clippers pick up in with a couple of the other picks that they own. And it's basically going to be, Hey, Philly, you're going to get the worst of whatever these picks are. And that'll be what it'll be. And that that's going to be how, how they're going to handle this one. So it's going to be handled slightly differently um, than, you know, than I think we've seen in the past, but it is still going to be one of those things where there will be a pick that goes to uh, Philadelphia. They're just not necessarily going to get a you know, super juicy pick out of it. They're going to get the worst of a collection of draft picks. All right, I'm glad this saga is done. We can move on. <laughs> I will say and, one, as I said to you, thing with the as I said to you, until until the trade deadline when James Harden <laughs> wants to be moved. No, in. Scott, we got to wait till he resigns his new deal. Then you know, yeah, right, months right. into that, then he'll ask for a trade. Um, I will say with the Thunder too, just to, to completely put a bow on it, because a lot of people are like, why why did they bother doing this? This kicks the can down the road a little bit and adds one more thing that they own now. They have that swap. Uh, with, with the Clippers, and that's just one, one more thing. And I think if you're the Thunder, why not? Right? We're, we're, we, let's just say 
they somehow, all six of those picks, went to them in 2026. They can't do that. That's too many. So what you do now is you rebalance because in 2027, they only had potentially, and I say only very facetiously, three potential picks in 2027. Now, it's still only three, but now they have the, the chance to swap. And I would say if I'm the Thunder, I'm betting by the time 2027 rolls around, I'm a significantly better team than the Clippers. Four years from now, who knows if Harden and, and George and Leonard are even playing, never mind playing at a high level. And the Thunder should be you know, really rounding into their full-on prime years at that point. So that that's kind of why uh, they're, they're, you know, gaming this out a little bit because a lot of people are like why would you even get involved but that's why the rookie team options for the 24-25 season deadline was yesterday and all but one was declined keith um no other way around all only one was declined all (laughs) yesterday all accepted except (laughs) one was declined i read my note (laughs) that's okay but i had it typed correctly um so an nba 101 here what happens when a rookie scale contract team option is declined with the year ahead of time? Yep. So what happens, whether it's a third or fourth year option, when that is declined, the player becomes a unrestricted free agent. Their cap hold is the equivalent of what their declined option amount would have been. So in this case, the player we're talking about yesterday was James Booknight. So what happens is his salary comes off the books uh, after this season. Uh, for the Hornets, his cap hold will be just over six million. About six point one million um, is where his his uh, cap hold will land for the Hornets, and then for the Hornets or any team that acquires James Booknight in trade. And why I always bring that up is this happened with Jalen Smith of the Pacers, now of the Pacers, when the Suns declined his option and then traded him uh, to the Pacers. They they were capped at what they could uh, pay him. So what happens is you get capped at paying a first-year salary that is the equivalent of that declined option. So using James Booknight as an example, salary comes off the books for the Hornets. James Booknight will now have a $6.1 million cap hold as an unrestricted free agent. The Hornets or any team that acquires Booknight are uh, limited to paying him no more than that $6.1 million uh, figure in first year salary. Now you can do a contract signed on top of that and give him raises and everything. But the reason they do it that way is they don't want somebody a year or two years into a rookie scale deal saying, this guy is awesome. Let's decline it and give him a max right now. Uh, that's why they, they cap it. At, you can only pay the amount of the declined option. So that's, that's where, where we're going to be at with James Booknight. The rest of the guys whose option decisions came down to the last day, as you mentioned, all got picked up uh, as to as was to be expected. So, I mean, you may not have the number off the top of your head. It seems very rare, at least from all the transactions that I put in over the last 15 years, that a, a, a rookie scale team option gets declined. So, what goes into a team deciding we're going to decline this a year ahead of time? Do they, does Charlotte just not see the, the growth in book night or is there something else that I'm missing? Yeah, it, it's, it's a 
it's a tricky spot to be sure. Teams are very uh, reluctant to decline these because you're making these decisions either a year or two years into a guy's career. Because again, remember, these have to happen a full year in advance, uh, almost a full year in advance of when these options would actually be played on. So these are all options for next season, the 24-25 season. So in this case with Book Night, the Hornets, my guesses have looked at him. There's one of two things going on because he's injured right now with a knee injury, but he's also been extremely unproductive. He's only played 65 games total over his first two seasons, and they have not gone well. He has not shot well. Uh, he is not. He just hasn't defended well. Just really hasn't been what they they thought. So I think there's two two schools of thought. One is either a player is well. There's actually three. There, the first is the player is so bad that it stands out that there's no hope here and you we got to move on. So off we go. We're waving him and we're see you later. The other school of thought is the guy has an injury um, issue so bad that you feel like he's never going to make it. He's never going to get back. The example of this, I'm going back several years. Jordan Adams with the Memphis Grizzlies was in that spot. He, his knees were thought to be so bad that the Grizzlies were like, it's just not going to happen. Like we, we have to move on uh, from him. The third option is something else happens. So uh, one example of that is Keon Johnson. Uh, he got traded from the trail, from the Clippers ultimately to the trailblazers, then to the um, Phoenix suns this summer uh, as part of that um, Deandre Ayton deal where, uh, Damian Lillard ultimately went to the Bucs. Keon Johnson was one of the pieces that was routed to the Suns. Suns just didn't have a roster spot for him, so they waived him. The other op- the other version of something bad happens is uh, Josh Primo, Kai Jones. Those guys, uh, things went sideways with their careers. We'll just leave it at that. And they were all they they were both waived. And their teams moved on and said, this is no longer worth any of the investment we're going to put into this. So so those guys were 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 cut loose of this class. So this specific class uh, of guys who are going into having their fourth year options picked up. This was the 2021 draft class off the top of your head. You want to guess how many guys had their option declined if, if, if you don't know already. I don't know. It's six, which is a lot. Six. Um, either had their option declined or they were waived, which is functionally mm-hmm. the same thing. So you had the 11th overall pick, James Booknight, the 12th overall pick, Joshua Primo. You had the uh, 19th overall pick, Kai Jones, which as an aside, just a disaster of a draft for Charlotte with Booknight and Jones, neither one of them completing a rookie scale contract. That's really not good. You had Keon Johnson, 21st overall pick. Usman Garuba, the 23rd overall pick. Josh Christopher, the 24th overall pick. Those were part of guys getting caught up in Houston's uh, draft um, uh, you know, crunch where they drafted, I want to say it was nine guys over a three-year period. Uh, and then they had to start clearing out roster spots after they used um, some of their cap space. They were Those guys were traded and then in the case of Gruba, traded again, and then their contracts were basically just eaten by uh, the Thunder and then the Grizzlies, uh, respectively, uh, for those two guys. So that's where we're at. Those guys all had their options declined. Those six players, um, really not great. 
like that. That's, you know, a fifth of the draft class had their options declined, which is really not something you, you necessarily, you know, go in thinking about. Then if we flip it forward to the 2022, because those guys are having their third year options picked up. Uh, I believe if I have this correct, I think the only guy, um, <laughs> sorry, the dog's got going a little crazy. wants to play. Um, the only guy um, who had his uh, option in effect declined because he was waived was Ty Ty Washington. Uh, again, he was, he was actually traded with Garuba twice uh, this year and then, then let go. The, all the other players uh, from that 2021 first round draft class, the other 29 guys all had their options uh, exercised and picked up. Even if a couple were on the more questionable side, like Johnny Davis and Patrick Baldwin Jr. of the uh, Washington Wizards, that was a little, little messy, but there we are. You know, that's the kind of puts a little bit of a bow on where we're at, but six guys from one draft class is a lot uh, from that 2020 draft class. Or yeah, 2021 draft class, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is what it is. At least teams are realizing, you know, if, if it's not going to work out, then cut ties and move on. So, okay. Uh, John Morant in Memphis has an interesting situation about to uh, come up tonight. Tonight will be the fifth game of their season. And that is significant because John Morant was suspended back on June 16th already. He was suspended for 25 games for conduct detrimental to the league which was in total a, a forfeiture of just over $7 million for that 25 games. Seven, so let's be you, clear, $7 million per game, right? Or no, I guess it's $7 uh, no, million that, that, My bad. $7 yes, million total, sorry. yep. I got um, excited. I was like, wait, that's per game? I was like, holy cow. And then I was like, no, that can't be. No, They'd be the no that is the total for the 25 games. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and because he's being suspended for 25 games, his uh, formula – is slightly different than if you were suspended for less than 20 games. But why is it significant that the fifth game uh, tonight is uh, what Memphis has to endure for the next 20 games after so? Yeah, so when a guy is suspended for more than five games, uh, so this could even happen on a uh, you know six-game suspension or a 10-game or whatever. Uh, in this case, when Moran, it's 25. Um, after the fifth game, the team has the right to transfer the player to what's called the suspended list. So what happens is they go to the suspended list. Uh, they're going to be inactive and that in effect removes them from the active roster. And it's one of the rare occasions where it actually does open up a roster spot uh, for the team. So what will happen is Memphis will very likely, if there's already reporting, they're going to sign Bismack Biombo, and there's very little way they're going to do that otherwise. So they're going to move John Morant over to this suspended list. Um, then they're going to sign Bismack Biombo to fill that 15th roster spot. Then what happens is after 20 more games, when Morant's suspension is up, which I think happens right around Christmas, um, he'll finish his suspension and then he will come back to the team no matter if now the team may say, Hey, he needs a week of ramp up or whatever. So he may not be active right away, but he'll be, they're going to have to put him back on the active roster as soon as the suspension is over. So what's going to happen in that case is Memphis will have to make a roster move to get back into roster compliance. How this is generally done is Bismack Biombo would sign a non-guaranteed contract uh, for the remainder of the season. So it'll be a 
you know, rest of season prorated uh, veteran minimum deal. And then what happens is when Morant comes back, let's say Biombo isn't playing well, isn't a fit or whatever, Charlotte can just waive him and they'll pay the cost of the 20 games he was on the roster, um, you know, plus whatever amount of days he was actually on the roster. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll pay that out or um, they can keep Biombo. And then what they would do is they would have to then at that point look and say, all right, how do we want to handle this? And there's, you know, they could make a trade and trade a player away. They could just straight release another player and go go in that direction. So so this is uh, what happens when a player's on suspension. Slightly different um, if a player's out, if you have four guys or more out with injuries, you can petition the league for a hardship exception, which is a temporary extra roster spot, but it's a different thing because you can bring a guy in on those. You can actually sign a player to a 10 day, even if we're before the normal 10 day contract uh, window, which opens in early January. So what happens in that case is you can bring a guy in, but in this case, beyond my guess is we'll find out beyond signs, a non-guaranteed, prorated veteran minimum and then after 20 more games towards the end of december right around christmas when john morant has to be activated from the suspended list they'll have to make a roster decision at that point yeah and this is not good timing with how the season has started for memphis and with the injuries that they just seem to keep uh, you know tacking on you know adams is out clark canard Aldama, yeah. you know, multiple games. They've lost all four games out of the gate here. You know, and, and if my memory serves me correctly, this team as a whole has had roster issues uh, in prior years where they've had to sign minimum non-guarantees yeah. on and off the roster. I think they had, what, at some point, like, you know, 26 different players. That might be facetious, but um, a, a lot of players one year – uh, where it, there were just so many injuries and they needed to sign guys just to be able to f- have a f- enough players to put on the the, the court. Yeah, and, and so to be to be clear, we're not talking about the COVID years because everybody did that. These no, are this the, was before. Yeah, these are before. Yeah, yeah, they are the only team since I've been doing this and tracking it at this level that actually went into the playoffs with guys on hardships. Because they they were so injured uh, that year. That was a year they actually kind of tested the Spurs uh, in the first round. Uh, Memphis had so many guys out with with injuries, really. I think they were all season-ending injuries at that point that they were allowed to carry some extra bodies into the playoffs because of it. So that's a a whole different thing. Now, um, with them, because you just mentioned, we know Steven Adams out for the season. Brandon Clark, very likely out for the season. Uh, Luke Kennard is hurt right now, and Santi Aldama is hurt right now. I believe we're only a game or two away from them being at the four guys are out long-term and being able to petition for a hardship, which would be on top of this uh, you know, suspended list spot. So they we could see a situation where the Grizzlies get up to, right now, they're at what? They're at 18 players with their three two-way guys and their 15 standard. They could get up to 20 players here if they wanted. 
Now, the challenge of the hardship, it sounds like Aldama might be back, maybe at uh, the end of this week, maybe next week. And at that point, you kind of, do we even want to bother? You know, where do we want to go with this? But it's going to be interesting to watch how they, they handle things. But yeah, this is a team that's just, you know, had some really rotten injury luck. And now, of course, you have John Moran, not injury related, but just another thing on top of it that they have to deal with. Yeah, and they made the trade for Marcus Smart to sort of help ops, offset yeah. the suspension and, you know, 0 4 out of the gate here. So we'll see how it, it, it continues for Memphis. Hopefully they can potentially turn this around, but not a great way to start their season. Yeah, and 0 and 4 in the West is pretty bad because that's you're starting to put yourself in having to make up some real ground because the western conference is it, it's uh let, let's just say unforgiving if you're uh you know not 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 performing up to task all right keith let's finish up with fines it seems like there might be a fines uptick oh, here out of the <laughs> gate of the nba season that all of a sudden we're just getting flopping fines left and right i think we're up to uh uh, five or six at this point. Did something change over the summer or is the NBA officials and the NBA saying we just need to enforce the rules out of the gate, similar to what the NFL does every season and then pulls back from it? Yeah, it's it's pretty similar to that where this is, you know, hey, point of emphasis and we see this last until, you know, we get into the holidays and then it's like, all right, we're going to all back off and it won't be, you know, such the thing, whether it be, something like this or it's sometimes it's the you know hand checking other times it was the players you know with the rip through moves or leaning in on shots and then we kind of get back to a uh, point later in the year where it just turns into all right we're you know this is what it is right we're all kind of you know in, in a spot where we're where we're at so i think um in this case it's funny that you said five or six you could have told me 20 and i'm like sure okay yeah i believe it um, what they instituted this year was uh, in games, officials can issue a technical foul to players for flopping. So that means if you flop, whether, whether that's offensively or defensively, uh, in an attempt, and it's it's all laid out with very flowery language of you know uh, dramatic and flailing and other things like that. But it's basically, if it's one of those ridiculous ones where we're all watching, we're like, what a flop. Even when you're watching your own team, you hopefully can be honest enough to call it out. Uh, they can penalize the player with a technical. What they can also do when they review the games, and just so everybody knows, every single NBA game is reviewed multiple times. There is a stat review that is done where they sit down and they go, somebody rewatches the entire game, rescores the entire game. So that way they can basically say, yeah, hey, we missed a rebound or a rebound was credited to player X and it should have been player Y. There's also an official review where the officials will review the entire game. And that's so they can, hey, you missed this call. This should have been done better. And that's beyond even the last two minute report stuff that we're all very familiar with. This might be, you know, played two minutes into the first quarter um, where it's like, all right, you know, so here or sometimes it's even things like, hey, you're a little out of position. You need to be further down the baseline or whatever. Um in that process, if they notice, oh, holy cow, we missed a flop in-game, 
um, that we should have called, they are retroactively going back and issuing technical fouls for flopping. And that's what we're seeing. That's like the five or six, I think we're seeing um, after the fact already, where there's been several of those issued to players for, you know, for the act. And then they're getting hit with what is it a $2,000 fine? I think for every technical. Correct. 2, yeah. So 2000 bucks every single time they, they, they get hit with uh, on those. So that's, uh, you know, definitely something we're going to be kind of keeping an eye on here uh, for, for the next couple months i think i mentioned messaged you the other day and then i said oh god these flopping things these are going to be a bear to track all year so are they physically going back in and if they're assessed flopping they are getting a technical two or it's just the technical if it's in the game itself they yeah can- i believe they're going back and actually actually issuing one as well what i don't know i have to look it up and i'll try to remember to answer this next week i'll look it up uh while while we're not um, on air i i don't know if those count towards the um technical limit before like you trigger a suspension um i don't know yep. if the flopping ones count towards that or not i, I kind of hope they do and i think they should um versus the you know you screamed and yelled at the referee uh kind of technicals that are you know very common that we see so well we'll, we'll see I, I don't know the answer to that but i'll try to find that out um, for sure. Yeah, I, I only ask because I track the you know technical fouls like you know uh, every day. I go through and I check the play by play on NBA uh, scoreboard and try to follow. And Jalen Brunson, he didn't show up as a technical foul, but he got the flopping fine. And then when you go and you actually do a little bit of research, it says he was assigned a technical mm-hmm. foul. So the technical foul in the play by play wasn't actually yeah. thrown in the play by play. So. There's a, a gray area of where the data is, you know, being shown. So that's why I brought it no, up. No, it's a great question. And we'll know more when we get you know, deeper than a week into the season and we start pulling the technical foul uh, and fine reports and all that because that's all all information that the NBA does make available. And just in case anybody's wondering, you know, hey, why do you guys care? Like, why are you tracking all this? Well, one, it's actual money lost. And if somebody comes to us and says, hey, how much was Jalen Brunson fined throughout the course of his career? Uh, we can go back and run the reports on our end and pull it and share that number. Um, it also, in some cases, when the fines are issued by the NBA, that money comes off of the tax bill. Uh, for the team. So uh, if it's a, t- yeah, John Moran yep. suspension. Yeah, that's exactly it. That lowers the tax bill for the team. So what happens? Um, yeah. In John Moran's case, 7 million is going to come off the books um, for the Grizzlies uh, for the tax bill. Now it doesn't for the salary cap. Cause that, that wouldn't be fair. Um, but that comes off because it's a league suspension, but a, um, a team issued suspension or fine that doesn't come off because what happens in those cases is you don't want a team being like, Hey, guess what? We're like one day away from dodging the luxury tax and a whole bunch of penalties. Hey, we're going to suspend you and say for, you know, uh, the unspecified violation of team rules, but we'll make it up to you. And the guy's like, okay, sounds good. You know, and then they suspend him and they miss the tax and don't have to pay a whole bunch of money and get a whole bunch of money instead. That's why they don't allow it to come off with the teams, but any league suspension and fine. So all these uh, seemingly little $2,000 fines, 
I'm just going to keep picking on Jalen Brunson because we used him, and I don't think he's going to pile them up. But if, let's say Jalen Brunson all of a sudden turns into the biggest flopper the league's ever seen, and he starts piling up you know, one of these every week. Well, yeah, by the end of the year, you know, he's going to have 20 of these that it's going to be, all right, that's a whole bunch of money that came off the books uh, for Jalen Brunson that you know, we did more than necessary expecting to happen. So that's going to be something to just kind of keep an eye on. All right, Keith, what's next now that uh, team options are done? James Harden trade <laughs> finally done. You wrote that up. What do you got next yep, for us? Yeah, so what we're working on now, now we can fully lean into our first full major projection of the, the uh, cap space and the, the spending power landscape for the summer 2024, knowing it'll change. It'll change, obviously, but what we want to do is be able to lay out, here's the teams that have cap space, here's how much cap space they have, here's the teams that look like they will have the non-taxpayer MLE, here's the the first apron teams here, the second apron teams as of right now and lay that all out. Cause a lot of those uh, things will be what drives the decisions these teams make uh, throughout the course of the year. I know it sounds crazy to say this, but we're only a month and a half, December 15th from early trade season opening up. Uh, that's when the vast majority of the players, about 85, 90% of the players who signed over the summertime will be eligible to be traded. So we're almost there. Uh, for that there there's only you know that that small amount that will become trade eligible um, on January 15th but we're almost there uh, with that so we're we're at the point where we need to start uh, looking as we're enjoying the games and the hardened trade being behind us it's time to start looking for all right who's already maybe starting to think about all right what's it going to look like next summer which is obviously even in this hardened trade a team that is very good with the reigning MVP just made a very future focused trade. Um, so that gives you a sense of just you know where these teams are at uh, with this uh, um, sort of planning moving forward. Questions, comments at Keith Smith NBA on X. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.